the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Monday. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, really whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call no banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope people got saved at your church. We had a busy weekend here and uh, Monday's always sort of a day to kind of take inventory of all the stuff that the Lord is doing. It's a good thing. So um, hope people got saved. That's that's the most important thing. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm sorry, here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies going at 7 o'clock, as is always the case. Uh, the ladies, you can watch that live stream at calvarysa.com. It's always better to be here because the Q&A and the ministry that happens after the fact, we don't live stream that. Um, but it's a great opportunity for you. Um, Dr. Sheba Paley will be teaching tonight. Uh, and they are in the book of First Timothy. So I'm looking forward to uh, to that. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. The first question, uh, this one is sent in from Reggie C. And Reggie asks a question that I wish Reggie didn't ask. He said, Pastor Ron, can you please explain 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15? Reggie, the reason I asked, I said I wish you hadn't asked it is because uh, every time I read that passage, or consider it in a Bible study, I always say, I wish Paul had never written it. And the reason is because there's absolutely no way to know what he means. If you read 10 or 15 different scholars, you're going to get 10 or 15 different answers. And uh, honestly, I have no special revelation regarding this verse, nor do I think that anybody does. I'm going to make a guess for you, but that's the best I can do. Let me start off with what I know it does not mean, what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that if you're a woman and you have a baby, that you're going to get saved. If that were true, um, boy, everybody would be having babies. But no, that's not what it means. We know we're saved by grace through faith. That is uh, one of the themes that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So it does not mean that a woman is saved if she's married and has a baby. Um, Paul is writing to people here who are already saved. So that context is important. 
And um, we also have a reference to the Garden of Eden, which has some value. Um, Before the fall, um, childbirth was easy, uh, even pleasant, um, or that was God's original plan. In the fall, sin ruined it. And so we were told uh, in the garden that that bearing children would now be painful. Um, Having given you that background, uh, let me guess what Paul is referring to, and that's all I'm going to do is guess, and my opinion uh, has no more value than others. Uh, I personally think that Paul is telling women that their greatest joy, their greatest fulfillment, can be found in assuming traditional biblical roles for women. That doesn't mean being a mother, you know, keeping them barefoot and pregnant. That's not at all. Um, This is a general principle because not all women can have children. But the idea here, I think, Paul is communicating, and and this whole passage is about uh, life and order. It starts in chapter 2 and goes all the way through the the kind of life that is going to be the most satisfying and fulfilling, whether it's in the church or at home. I think the idea here is that the most satisfying way to live the way to be saved in this particular case from being deceived is to accept God's role in life rather than rebel against God's established order. Now, let me give you an example, Reggie. Um, there are women who want to be pastors, and I think that would be a very fruitless ministry. Now, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean that God still won't use them for the benefit of others. But anytime you're trying to do something that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do, and yet you're rebelling against the the role that God, the Holy Spirit, has directed us to have, um, then then it's going to be very difficult. There's always going to be contention. There's always going to be opposition. And, and, and not only are the women, but the people in the churches are settling for less than God's best. And I think what he's saying here is the most satisfying way to live or to minister, the way to be saved from being deceived is to accept God's role in life rather than rebel against his established order. Now, I realize that to some, this sounds restrictive, but it's nothing new. It was in the garden that God gave Adam and Eve the right to eat from every tree and plant in the garden. But there was still one restriction, the only forbidden tree. And all they had to do is be obedient. They could have lived in glory. And the human race would have lived in glory. Um, In the church, it's still true that women are restricted from only one position in the church, the position of pastor or leader in the church. And so I think what Paul is saying is if you want God's best in your life, if you want to be the most fruitful in producing for the kingdom of God, then accept his role for your life and you will live a life far richer than you ever imagined. Let your husbands lead in the home. Let your pastors lead in the church. That is God's way. Now, let me say generally, and then that'll be all for this question, because I don't have anything more than this. I think for men and women, the key in our lives is to accept the role that God has given you. And that's the key that enables you to enjoy whatever roles he'll bring you into later. Learn to submit to authority. It's not appealing to be a rebel. It's not appealing uh, when somebody says, well, I think this is uh, should be okay. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make you look smart. It doesn't make you look spiritual. Uh, rebellion just makes people look silly. And uh, I think, Reggie, that's the best I can do. And again, until we get to heaven and be are able to say, okay, Paul, what are you thinking? Uh, I, I think until we get to heaven, that's that's uh, we're not going to have any more specifics than that. As I said, since the Bible has been um, composed for us, uh, that has caused all kinds of, of different opinions and grief. So it's just one of those things where we're not going to have the answers until we get to heaven. So, Reggie, I'm sorry I couldn't say uh, this is what it means. Uh, unfortunately, um, it's just one of those cases. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Anonymous. Um, he says, how does God expect me to remain single? I want to be in a relationship, but so far it hasn't happened. I don't know what to do. I feel 
lonely, but every relationship I have had hasn't worked out. I'm feeling depressed, but don't know what to do. Do you have any advice? I do, Anonymous, and you're probably not going to like it because it deals with faith and trusting in the Lord. Uh, the, the, the question, the pronouns, uh, me, I, uh, I feel lonely, you said. Um, I've had relationship, but they haven't worked out. I'm feeling depressed. I think the focus is it needs to be removed from you and on your service to the Lord. Now, again, I said you wouldn't like the answer because there's no formula, but here's what I can tell you. If, if God has put that desire in your heart to be married, that's what he wants to do. He says it's not good for man to be alone. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. I think the problem is how we go about it. I think we strive for relationship and and um anonymous this this isn't personal because I don't know you, but generally what I find to be the case is that people are trying to find their own solutions to their loneliness. I always tell uh, especially men that God is preparing you for the wife that he's preparing for you. Now, if your focus is on your feelings, if your concern is about you and how you feel, if you can't find and practice, walk in the joy of the Lord uh, simply because you're lonely, uh, how could he bring a woman to you at this particular moment, uh, a woman that he loves and cares about, a woman that you're the answer uh, for this woman and the answer to her prayers? So you got to get your focus off you. Uh, Paul said being single was a good thing because you could devote yourself 100% to the Lord. Here's a promise that I can make you, Anonymous. If you will put your focus on Jesus, what did Paul say writing to the Colossians in chapter 3? Set your heart and your minds on things above. That means the heart is a place of affection. Right now, God is sharing that place of affection with a woman who he hasn't brought into your life yet. But also set your mind. That's a place of decision. You've got to be resolved committed to, to, to serving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And I'll promise you this, if you do that, you're going to run into the woman that God is preparing for you, the one that will be the answer to your prayers. But you've got to get the focus off you. You can't let the fact that you're single and lonely. You know, you can be alone without being lonely. I think that's important. It's important because how can we really be lonely when Jesus is with us every day? When you get up in the morning, do you immediately go to, I'm, I'm alone, I'm single, I'm lonely? Or do you get up and you say, good morning, Lord, what about me and what about today? You see, this is a change in mindset. The Apostle Paul writes that we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but we're to be renewed in our minds or have new thinking about things. And what you need to do is think about God and what he wants for you. And then it's a matter of trusting him. Do you trust God, Anonymous? Do you trust that he's going to answer this desire of your heart? Well, in the meantime, serving God where you are, being fruitful, getting your focus off you and on him and, and the use of whatever gifts that God has given you is very, very important. Now, let me say one thing, and Anonymous, this isn't for you because your, your email doesn't indicate that this is part of your struggle, but so often our focus is so on us and how we feel that we forget that we're men and or women who are under orders. That means we've simply got to run to the Lord. And, you know, what did he say to Paul when Paul was begging the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh, which was a physical malady? Uh, the Lord said, no, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient. Here, Anonymous, is what I can promise you and to anybody else in the audience going through the same things. Your relationship with Jesus Christ has to be primary. For the woman that God is preparing for you, she needs to find a husband who loves Jesus more than she does, a husband that is committed to Jesus and serving Jesus by faith, a man who is immersed in the word of God. 
And my guess, and Anonymous, I will make this part personal, my guess is that you're spending more time in your own loneliness than you are in the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that will renew you and strengthen you and give you that new focus. And then one day you're going to get up and you're going to look around and there she's going to be. So in the meantime, be fruitful where you are. Enjoy what God has done. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus instead on what you do have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Anonymous, I hope that makes sense to you. And um, again, this is a desire that God's put in your heart. Um, He's not trying to trick you. Um, He just wants you to be ready for that woman that he is preparing for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a very difficult situation that um, um, I'm going to keep anonymous, although he has given me a name. Um, um, And let me say in advance, I'm not going to be able to answer the the details with just the information that you've given me, but I can give you, I hope, a little bit of direction. Pastor Ron, my daughter is elementary age but refuses to go to school. We force her and have even had the police help, but she keeps running away. When the police take her, they will only bring her to a mental facility. Then she's released after a couple days. No schools will take her anymore because of her history. We've brought her to church, but she makes a very public distraction. The psych doctor prescribed very strong medication, but we don't believe they will help. She also cuts herself and runs away. My wife and I are inconsistent in enforcing the rules, and this has caused stress in our marriage. What would you suggest we do? Um, anonymous, uh, my, my suggestions are going to be very, very limited. Let me, let me say first that you and your wife need to be consistent in enforcing the rules. And the rule that you put in parentheses was rules about the phone. Um, if you're not in agreement, then the situation is only going to get worse. The second thing is this sounds like she has got some real psychological problems. She needs to be diagnosed by a professional. Now, if you do that in the professional, whether it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they tell you, nope, this is just rebellion, then I don't know what you're going to be able to do. Here's what I can tell you. Um, and, and, and again, I don't know where it is that you go to church. Um, but I have somebody that I would, I, I, I would introduce you to who could talk to her, who is a licensed therapist, and um, she could give, you, give all of us some direction. Um, I'm not a psychologist. Um, um, maybe our therapist could um, give us some direction regarding the meds, whether or not she also thinks they're necessary. But but it appears as though your daughter is suffering from um, some real psychological problems, and it needs to get taken care of now. She's she's young. Um, she shouldn't have the right to refuse anything. Uh, children are to be obedient. Um, and she keeps running away. I, I, I again, this is a, a an emergency in your family. And I think you really and truly need to deal with this with some sense of urgency. Uh, And then you're going to have to trust the professionals. Again, um, let me say that if you would contact us, uh, you can can do that through our Calvary SA, um, questions at calvarysa.com email address. Um, we can we can contact you, and and I'd be happy to have her uh, talk to um, the the, uh, the the therapist, licensed therapist in our church who loves the Lord and has experience with these kind of things. Um, I can deal with rebellion. I can deal with um, um, family dynamics uh, biblically, uh, but if there are mental issues here. That needs to be determined first. One other suggestion I would make is um, that, that, that often these kind of things have physical causes as well. And so I would have her examined by a doctor, family physician, 
Um, actually, we even have those available as well. So uh, all I can say to you, I'm really sorry. Uh, I will be committing uh, you and your wife and your daughter to prayer. Uh, and I don't say that lightly or casually. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to help, uh, we'd be happy to do our best to do so. In the meantime, uh, you and your wife together need to be in one accord. And the two of you in the middle of this battle, the two of you need to be in the Word together. You need to be walking with Jesus. Your relationship with the Lord has got to be tight. You have no room for a lukewarm relationship with Jesus right now. You need to be so close to him. Both you and your wife need to be so close to him that he can wrap his arms around you and lead you and guide you through this crisis, and it is a crisis. So that's the best I can do without more specific information uh, or without people who are far more qualified psychologically and or medically than I am. I'll be praying. Here's a question from Wade. He says, I have a believing friend who says I am sinning by sharing the gospel with Jews. He says they don't need to be saved like non-Jews. Wade, then your friend has a problem with the Apostle Paul. Read Romans chapter 9, the first four verses, where Paul basically says now, and he, he affirms it with a triple oath. Um, I'm I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. The Holy Spirit confirms it. Uh, He's going to say something that's so unbelievable that clearly, as the Holy Spirit was directing him to write it, um, he knew that we needed that kind of understanding that that, uh, this really comes from his heart. And then he says this, I would give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. Now, remember, it was the Jews that were trying to kill him. It was the Jews that were making his life miserable. And yet he says, I'd give my place in heaven. You talk about a heart. You know, the book that I recommend on the Apostle Paul all the time is The Heart of the Apostle Set Free by F.F. Bruce. And and that's Romans chapter 9 begins with that, that, that heart that's been set free. Uh, he really and truly meant that when he said it. Now, he knew it wasn't possible. But the reality is, Wade, that that um, um, he wouldn't have said that if Jews didn't need Jesus to be saved. So it's really important. Your friend needs to be rebuked or corrected. I don't mean in, in, a, in an aggressive way or anything, but just, just I, I would ask him, have you read the Bible? Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It doesn't say no one except Jews come to the Father. No one comes to the Father. I think it's really important to understand that unless a man be born again, in fact, it was Jesus himself who told Nicodemus that he must be born again. And how somebody, a, a, a believing Christian, could come up with with this kind of a doctrinal statement um, just indicates his immaturity, his lack of Bible study, and his lack of any information at all. So wait, pray for him, but talk to him. Share the gospel with him. Share uh, Romans 9 with him. Why would Paul say that if Jews didn't need Jesus? Why would Jesus say why would he even have told any of the people that were opposing him that they could repent and turn to him? They were all Jews, and Jews need Jesus to be saved like everybody else. Let me see, I only have two minutes. So I'm going to save that question for the next part of the program. Um, Anthony says, what specifically does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? Anthony, I'm glad you asked that question because the answer is glorious, but it also means that we're way, way accountable. It means that we are the ones who are to serve our wives. We're the ones who are to die for our wives. Now, most of us, we macho men, we would say that I'll die for my wife. But, But what it really means, we have to live for her. We have to put her needs before our own. It means that if we're going to ask her to submit to our authority, and the Bible does that, then she needs to know that we are submitting to the authority of Christ. It means that we need to be 
um, instrumental in, in, in being in the Word together with our wives. I think one of the real reasons that so many Christian marriages are failing is because we've got the Word of God and we're not in it together. And I say all the time on this program that, that, that God knits supernaturally. He knits a husband's and wife's heart together in the Word. There's no other way that happens. You may not understand it. You may not think it will will will, will be fruitful. But I promise you that a husband and a wife in the Word together, God will knit their hearts together. He does the work. And all we've got to do then um, Anthony is is fulfill our responsibility. It does not mean that you're the boss. It means Jesus is the boss. And a husband and a wife then can agree to agree with him. It means you don't have to argue. You don't have to have your opinion and she has her opinion. What it means is both of you are ready to submit your opinions to the opinion or to the to the, the dictate of God. So love your wife sacrificially. You follow Jesus with all of your heart. And when you do that, you're going to have a wife who's going to enjoy following you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls. 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Monday program, 340-9585. That's area code 210 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. Here's the anonymous question that I didn't have time for at the end, so I'll take it right here at the top of this uh, second half hour. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you think America is lost? Um, uh, Let me say yes, I do. Uh, That doesn't preclude the possibility of the Spirit of God um, instigating one more revival before the Lord returns. I don't think there's any evidence that that's going to happen. In fact, biblically, uh, we can suggest that that um, things are going to get worse. But um, is America lost? I think America is experiencing, um, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, the, the, not the judgment of God, um, but, but sort of a prejudgment. And by that, I mean, I think he is warning us the way he warned his people Israel for uh, hundreds of years before he actually gave them over to the uh, Syrians first and then the Babylonians and then, of course, the Medes and the Persians and and, and the Greeks and the Romans. Um, And and I think God is warning us. I, I, I think God is saying that we are committing such grievous sin against God that his blessing has been removed. You will remember that when uh, the the spirit of god the glory of god departed from the uh, the temple um ichabod was the, the phrase that was used uh, i think the glory of god has departed from the united states i think he simply removed his hand now remember we are not god's covenant people and that's why we can't make the precise parallels with with the nation of israel um but but god had a plan for the united states and I think for a long time, the United States was faithful to that plan. I think his plan was for us to be Israel's protector. It was in 1948, as you all know, when Israel was regathered to their homeland. The land then again became. It was just a few years ago when um, President Trump um, uh, enabled the um, city of Jerusalem to be the capital of Jerusalem rather than Tel Aviv. Um, and in the United States, instead of being protective and supportive of Israel, we've removed our support from them. I mean, I want you to think about something here. Um, we have people in the streets of the United States of America on college campuses um, in the United States of America, people shouting for the destruction of Israel and for the destruction of Jews. 
from the river to the sea. That's the chant in our nation's capital. A United States congressman was censored, but barely censored by a vote for saying the same thing from the river to the sea and advocating for the extermination of Jews. You would think that that every single House of Representatives member would have voted to censor her or worse, and the, the vote simply wasn't even close to unanimous. In fact, there were only enough Democrats who voted to censor her that, that allowed them to join the Republicans to, to make the censor issued. Now think about that. We had, and I don't remember the number, but, but I think 122 Democrats were okay with her statements to exterminate both Jews individually and the Jewish nation out of the Middle East. And we had 122 elected congressmen and women who were okay with that. How can God bless what we've done? We have murdered nearly 65 million babies under the force of law in this nation. And people are clamoring all over again for the right to kill children. How could God not leave? We have public pornography. We call it Pride Week, Pride Month now. Pride parades, where unspeakable things are happening. You know, as a Bible teacher, we talk about the things that are going on at the Temple of Diana or at, at the Temples of Prostitution in, in Corinth. And people think, well, how could that kind of stuff be going on? It's going on right here in our nation. So has God turned away from the United States? Yeah, he has. We've chased him away. A nation that he blessed beyond any other nation in the history of the world. At one time, with God's blessing, we were the richest and most powerful nation in the world. We were a capable policeman in the world. Other nations were fearful of us so that we can enforce right versus wrong. And now people mock us and laugh at us. They no longer have any fear at all of the United States of America. So all of this is yes. God's blessing has been removed. The presence of God has been removed. Now, we've still got the church. The Bible says that in the Great Tribulation, the restrainer is going to be taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit in Christians working through the church and, and he's going to be taken away. And, and at that point, the world is going to be plunged into a darkness that we can't even begin to imagine. And I think we are already seeing those signs. The rise of anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jews, demonstrates that God can't be here. His blessing can't be upon us. The other thing I would suggest that we consider is our leadership. One of the patterns that God established with his kings is he gave his people, Israel, the king they deserved. It started with Saul when God wanted to be their king. No, we want to be like the other nations. And they got the king they deserved. And then God, in his mercy, gave them a king after his own heart. And then you read the rest of the history of kings, and it's very few good kings and many, many horrible kings. And it was because the people were living in rebellion. Well, look at our current leadership in Washington. Look at our current leadership more locally in our cities. Look at the cities whose leaders are so far in one direction. And look at the lawlessness. Look at the, the condition of those cities and the embracing of perverse lifestyles. Just consider that for a moment and say, well, how could that be? We're getting the leadership 
that we deserved in the local leadership and then the national leadership and all the leadership in between. What we've seen is Ichabod, God's glory, God's blessing has been removed. And we deserve it. My final thought on this is a little closer to home. We have churches that have a lot of people attending them who profess Christ and yet embrace wicked lifestyles. Think about that for a moment. We believe things that are impossible to believe. We believe that men can be women and women can become men simply by saying so, which is rebellion against God's design in creation. So, yeah, I think America is lost, and I think what we can do, all of us, is pray for one more move of God's Spirit because it's not something that we can do. In the meantime, here's the job the church has. And I get frustrated a little bit because young people in particular, well, well, we want to change the world. If you want to change the world, the only way you can do it is one person at a time. You be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You win people to Christ. Be active in sharing your faith. That's the only thing we can do because we can't change the world. We simply can't do it. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, I think America is lost. Let's go to Scott from Von Army on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you. So I hope you don't mind me calling you, Pastor. I know you say you don't like that if the people don't attend church, but I've been there once before, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I wanted to bring it, bring this up. Um, I, uh, I traveled a couple of weeks here this last, last month or whatever. I haven't been traveling for years. And just the, the, looking at the people in the airports, and you just see this overwhelming emptiness in the faces and in the lives of the people, and then the, uh, the the other thing that it was really kind of difficult for me was um, everybody's in their own world with their digital devices, Boy. whether it's a handheld device or even on the airplanes. Normally, I could strike up a conversation with someone, but they're either they've got TVs in the back of the the seats, and it's just. And I'm just curious. Uh, maybe maybe some other viewers have some ideas. How do you break through or how do you get a conversation going with people when they're all tied up like that? And maybe you have some suggestions also. Yeah, um, I, I just I was really struggling with that. Yeah, Scott, I, I do too. In fact, uh, Paul and I were just commenting that we just got back from uh, the International Pastors Conference in California and traveling. And, and, you know, we're old enough. Paul and I are old enough to remember when flying was kind of a novel thing. And people used to dress up in suits and ties, and, and it was a special thing. And the, the they were called stewardesses then. Um, they were friendly, and they were bright, and uh, it was just a pleasurable experience. Well, all of that has changed. If you've ever seen cattle being herded through a cattle chute, that's what it's like getting on an airplane these days. And there's nothing enjoyable about it, and you're right, people don't talk to one another. Um, they're buttoned up with their electronic devices uh, and, and, and often won't even look up. So here's the key. How do you break the ice with them? You travel with Paula. <laughs> because believe me, she has no problem talking to anybody. And, and uh, you know, absent the possibility of doing that, I, I just think you, you, you do what you would do any other place. You, you 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 be kind, you look people in the eye, um, you introduce yourself, uh, ask them a little about themselves. If they shut down, there's nothing you can do. You can sit there and you can pray for them, but there's really nothing in all that you can do. But, but uh, traveling is just horrible. It's just horrible. And uh, it's not just one generation any longer. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, those young people, they never come out from under their, their, their electronic devices. Um, but, but it's the way it is now for everybody. Paul and I, we'll go to restaurants and we'll see a family of four come in. And we've got mom and dad, they're in their cell phones not talking. They've got the kids uh, on their cell phones and they're not talking. 
Uh, and it's just the world that we live in. And it's not a good world. It's not, not at all what God intended. Uh, it's not good for men to be alone. We know uh, that's true relative to, to uh, the institution of marriage. But it's not good for us to be alone. We need one another. And uh, Scott, there just isn't any other way. And by the way, I, I'm 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 functioning sort of in a role as a pastor, so I don't mind people calling me pastor. I think when I said that, it was in response to uh, to uh, someone who asked me why I insist on being called pastor, and I, I said I don't insist on being called anything. Um, um, and, and in fact, I, I don't really like when people call me pastor if I'm not their pastor. I think it's a title reserved for their pastor, and I think that relationship's important. But on the radio, I'm I'm functioning kind of as a pastor, so hope that makes sense to you. Scott, good to hear from you. It's always good to hear from you. Jennifer says, Pastor Ron, how can the Song of Songs represent Jesus and his church if it includes sex? Um, Jennifer, it does. The Song of Solomon certainly represents Jesus' church. Now, a couple of things about the Song of Songs. Uh, it is a real historical story. Um, it's a love story. Solomon the king and and the, the, the woman who took his breath away. Uh, he saw her, instantly fell in love with her, knew he had to have her, and, and began trying to win her. Um, um, so, so it's a real historical story. But remember, it's also a poem. Uh, these are the poetic books. And, and because it is um, prophetic in nature as well, um, it's a picture of Jesus being crazy head over heels in love with his bride, the Church of Jesus Christ. And you ask, how can it represent Jesus in his church if it includes sex? It's not so much the sex, it's the intimacy. Now, Song of Songs is a great uh, primer on on um, the, the, the sexual relationship inside of a marriage. But the idea, rather than just sex, Jennifer, is intimacy. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us. He wants it to be intimate. He wants it to be passionate. He wants it to be adventurous. And believe it or not, Jesus wants our relationship to be playful. All of the things that a sexual relationship represents, all of those are demonstrated in that wonderful song or that wonderful poem and uh, there, there's not a better representation. One of the reasons marriage is so important to the Lord is because he always designed it as the um, one human relationship that above any other human relationship re- represents our relationship with him, or at least the relationship he desires with us. And uh, and that's why he uses that metaphor. It's also, by the way, why he uses the metaphor of of uh, prostituting or whoredom uh, when when his people go chasing other gods or other idols. So um, it does represent it, but remember, it's not just the sex, it's the intimacy. And um, in that wonderful poem, we get a picture of what God intends for our marriages to be. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's an anonymous question. Is there a proper way for Christians to navigate dating while pursuing marriage? You're asking a guy who's been with the same woman now for 53 and a half years, and frankly, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to navigate a, a, a relationship that was leading to marriage. So here's what I can tell you. To do it righteously, don't fall into the traps of, well, you know, you can't hold hands and you can never be alone and all those things. You know what your level of temptation is and you also know what your level of self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit is. Don't let other people say, oh boy, avoid the appearance of evil. You know, don't do those things. Just have a natural relationship. Uh, I have a, a pastor who is uh, we we announced publicly his engagement uh, this past Friday night at church. And you know what? I would be really upset if anybody told him and his wife-to-be, they can't do this, they can't be alone, they've always got to go out in public. I would be, I would be enraged if somebody said that. I trust this young man with people I love. I trust his walk with the Lord. 
and I trust his judgment. Now, I'm not a big fan of long engagements. I don't think we should tempt fate, but I just think take Jesus with you on your dates. Take Jesus with you everywhere you go. Keep the word of God right there. And I can tell you this, the dating relationship needs to include prayer together. The dating relationship needs to include the word of God together. This is when we start preparing uh, to, uh, to, to, to make new habits uh, of, of the way we're going to live together. Um, but just enjoy one another. Just remember that Jesus is there with you. And there can't be any sex before marriage. Doesn't mean you can't kiss. When people say that, it drives me crazy. Now, I would prefer that the people I care about didn't. But that's none of my business. I just pray for them. And and just be sure that Jesus is there and that you're a shining representative. Let me tell you a quick story. I don't have anybody on the line, I don't think. Let me make a quick check. No, I don't have anybody in line. So let me let me tell a quick story. Um, one of uh, a pastor here, uh, we, we ordained him here and he planted a church uh, in the Alamo Ranch area of San Antonio on the northwest side. Um, and he and he was a, a, a grown man. He was, this wasn't a kid or a young man, a grown man. And in, in his dating relationship with the woman who is now his wife, uh, I love her with all of my heart. Killian, if you're listening, oh, we miss you. But um, um, she was a little concerned that he wasn't making any moves. And finally she asked him, she said, you know, what's the matter? You're not making any moves. And he said, I wouldn't defile you that way. God loves you and I, I'm in love with you. And I wouldn't defile you that way. And it worked. I mean, they're married and now he's a pastor serving the Lord fruitfully. And um, nothing wrong with the way he was pursuing marriage. He was aware that he was accountable first and foremost to Jesus Christ. If you keep that in mind, you can't go wrong. Here's a question from Debbie. Are there some people who are so evil that I shouldn't pray for them? Debbie, no. I think think the more evil they are, the more prayer they need. Um, I think if we get to the point where we're the arbiter of how much evil is too much evil, we shouldn't be praying. I think it would please God when we pray for enemies. Now, I think we can be honest in our prayers. We can say things like, Lord, I, I think this person is so far gone. Um, that's why I'm bringing him or her to you in prayer. Um, Jesus, you can touch their heart. You can change their lives. But, but um, you know, some of the people that are, are, are advocating these horrible, willful, rebellious lifestyles um, causing other people to stumble. Our, our, our nation's leaders, as an example, were commanded in the Word to pray for them. And sometimes, I always tell our church, we got to pray through clenched teeth, but we need to pray. And as we pray for people, the Spirit of God begins to change our heart toward them. I think we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them consistently. And nobody is beyond the reach of God. And I think that's something that we need to remember. So, no, uh, always, always keep praying for people. And the Apostle Paul would say, never stop. He was praying for Caesar Nero, the one who eventually took his hand. Uh, Alexander, this will be my last question for today. What is your view on the house church movement? Um, Alexander, I don't think it's a house church movement. I think there are some house churches, and I have a lot of problems with it. You know, the people that say, well, you know, in the first century church, they were house churches. Well, then the church was just getting started, and they couldn't meet in big buildings. They didn't have buildings. Culturally, um, things are different now than they were. And and too often, Alexander, when I see people who say, well, we're, we're, we're in a house church, um, and I'll ask them, well, well, under whose authority are you? Are you serving? Are you giving? And you can see, no, I'm going to this, so I don't have to serve, so I don't have to give. I don't want to be under authority. And I think that's the problem with the house church movement. Uh, I, I just think we need to get involved with a church fellowshipping with other believers. And I don't think a few people gathering together in somebody's home uh, satisfies that requirement. Now, let me say this. 
our church began in a one-bedroom apartment. So I understand small things at beginning. Uh, we have a pastor who's planted a church in Washington State, and they're meeting in a home. It's not a home church. It's a church plant. But there's already order. There's already authority established. Um, so I, I'm not condemning meeting in a home, but when you meet in a home, it ought to be going somewhere. And and you want to find leadership that's following the Lord so they can say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, there has to be solid, qualified teaching of the Word of God. I don't think it's hard to find or to discern whether or not somebody's teaching the Bible, whether they're, they're called by God to do so. Um, watch their lives, but but be careful of trying to be independent from the institutional church. God is very fond of the institutional church. Jesus is crazy about the institutional church. And what we need to do is be a part of it. Find a church that is teaching the Word. Get involved. Find out what God can do using your gifts to be a blessing to those people. Hey, thank you for tuning in on the Monday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, tonight we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies, calvarysa.com. You can watch the ladies' study. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.